is happening in the world of Odysseus in the month of March. We have so many new releases out. Yeah, gosh, it is March now, isn't it? Yeah, we had the, um, you know, all the all the backlog of stuff that was supposed to come out last year has finally come out this year. So, you know, we got Shackleton, the player guide, the game master guide, and the tricorder set finally hitting uh, stores in the UK and the US. And we got some uh, regular digital releases coming out. And, uh, Got more stuff coming that we still haven't announced yet. So uh, stay tuned. So much gooey goodness. So much gooey goodness. We can't keep up with it. And I know that one of the exciting things, which we talked about on our last uh, podcast, was the the opening of the Discord server for Modifius 2. So Mm -hmm. it's in a lot of activity, a lot of ideas on there. Um, One of the things that we've talked about is modeling characters. So today's show is actually... How do we watch something on TV, see something Star Trek, maybe not even Star Trek, and we model it for our game? For those of you who are just turning in, tuning in, um, we are continuing conversations. Um, I'm Michael Dismuke, freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG, also um, one of the bloggers on Continuing Mission, which is the number one fan site for Ooh. Star Trek RPG, uh, Star Trek Adventures RPG. And Jim Johnson, you want to introduce yourself? Sure thing. Jim Johnson. I'm the project manager and line editor for Star Trek Adventures by Modifius Entertainment. Yes. And I call him the man who never sleeps. I literally don't think <laughs> you ever sleep. <laughs> do you sleep like I, four I hours a night? I, I sleep. I sleep a little bit, but uh, I'm usually I'm usually up, uh, you know, late hours, early mornings, getting stuff done, you know, taking care of the family, taking care of the day job, doing all, working on this game. So it's uh, it's a it's a passion, you know, making it happen. Well, it shows it shows uh, the quality of the books and, of course, um, how easy it is really to use and how fun it is to use. So let's jump into modeling uh, characters. Let's, Jim, one of the shows uh, out right now is Prodigy. What's your take on it? Tell us your take on Prodigy. Uh, you know, I'll be I'll be uh, completely honest. It took me a while to warm up to Prodigy. I think uh, the first couple episodes just didn't feel Star Trek-ish to me. And it took me a little while to warm up to some of the characters, um, although a couple of them I warmed up to really quick. But uh, uh, like that that first half of the first episode did not feel like Star Trek. And I was actually watching it with my six-year-old, and uh, he watched it. And he was I could tell he was getting a little, a little antsy about 20 minutes in. And he was like, Daddy, you said this was Star Trek. Where's the ship? And like right about the time he said that is when they, when they discovered the protostar. So like even though he's only six and he's only watched a handful of episodes, but we've read a lot of the books, right? A lot of the uh, the kids' books, a lot of the the golden books. So like he knew like Star Trek equals a ship. Like you need to have a ship. And uh, once the ship showed up, then it started to veer more towards Star Trek. And um, I really got into it. I, I've watched the first ten episodes and uh, really digging on it now. So I'm I'm excited about it. How about you? Oh, I mean, I'll say it before and I'll say it again when we were going through the player's guide is it is a total introduction and lesson on how Star Trek works from the basic technology to the prime directive to Mm -hmm. what it means to be a Starfleet officer in comparison to just some ragtag person flying through space. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I thoroughly enjoyed it. And as I mentioned before, I almost wish it would have come out 
before we started writing the player's guide because I had so many ideas sprung from Prodigy. And again, it's hard. I think one of the hardest things, you know, for a lot of Star Trek fans, longtime fans, is to see something presented that's different than what we're used to. The mm-hmm. initial reaction is bias. <laughs> and and it's interesting how it really models real life like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but I've been noticing this as I sit through uh, with Prodigy, I'm really starting to enjoy it because it makes me understand why I'd rather be on a Starfleet ship more than anything else. <laughs> for sure, for sure. You know, it's interesting, you, you, you raised a good point that uh, we we developed the Player's Guide and the Game Master Guide before Prodigy came out. And, uh, it, you know, we didn't have access to anything. We, we don't even have the, we don't even have the Prodigy license, right? So we didn't have access to anything related to Prodigy, except for what we were seeing online, you know, little teasers and little pictures and stuff that they were posting. And uh, what really struck me, what really struck me is what you were just saying is that episode by episode, they kind of teach you the franchise, right? They teach you the basics of the franchise, how technology works, how science works, how the transporter works, et cetera, et cetera. And like, that was literally uh, my mandate for you writers on the player guide and the game master guys is like, let's target part of the book at somebody completely new to Star Trek. And let's try to explain it in, in understandable terms so that we're not trying to overwhelm people with 55 years worth of the franchise, right? And uh, it was just funny to see that that kind of parallel thing going on. So like, you know, now, and this is the whole point of tonight's episode, right? Is like somebody who wants to do kind of a prodigy game could take the player guide, watch Prodigy, and you're off and running. You got everything you need between a core book, whether it's the Klingon core book or the uh, Starfleet core book, or even the new Tricorder uh, Rules Digest. Use, use any of those points of entry and the player's guide with the new player options that are in there. And you're you're good to go, man. That's <laughs> good, exactly. good stuff. Now, I don't know about you. I'm going to ask you. I've never actually asked you this before. When I'm watching Star Trek, it, I'm going to go back to when I was playing RPG in a different franchise, Marvel. Yeah. I would watch it and I would be modeling the characters as I watch what's happening in the comic book or watch, what, mm-hmm. watch what's happening in the movie. Now, yeah. with the Star Trek episodes out, I also do this. So, so for the listeners, for the people watching this right now, let's talk about the process of modeling as we watch. And Prodigy is a great show because it started from scratch. You have no back history on these characters, mm-hmm. so you know you can start modeling raw. So what's your first tip and trick when it comes to watching a show and modeling as you watch? Uh, you know, it's, it's tricky because like, I want to do it right away, right? Like, like first episode, I want to model what they are, but I know it's tricky because, because especially with Prodigy, right? They, they gradually revealed stuff about the characters episode after episode. And so if you only relied on episode one, you would have an incomplete picture of that character, right? So like, if I were going to model characters uh, for Prodigy, I would have, I had to wait until the first block of episodes were complete so I could look at that totality and go, okay, here's, here's their values, here's their focuses, here's all that stuff, and just try to make it work that way. Uh, one of the challenges, though, right, and, and we can see this with, uh, you know, Discovery and Picard especially, is that, you know, we can, we can make an educated guess about where those characters are at the end of the season or whatever, but, you know, the next season comes out, they could, the producers and the writers could completely invalidate that and go a different direction and we'd be like well shoot you know we took our best guess on that character sheet but now we don't know (laughs) now it's something different they just have to make it work but uh no usually i I try to watch you know as many episodes as i can and then try to make a good a good guess. you can't always do that especially with like uh guest characters Um, like if you wanted to if you wanted to uh stat stat up um uh you know like lon Suter 
on mm-hmm. Voyager, right? You've only really got two episodes to make it happen. So that, you just got to make your best guess on, on those two episodes. One of my favorite characters. Thank you for mentioning. <laughs> I, I want to say I always have my phone next to me when I am uh, watching the shows and I'm taking notes. And so I thought today what we could do. I, yeah, your one method where you watch the whole block. I do that, too, because I always go back and rewatch them, especially yeah. if I'm assigned to actually model a character <laughs> or Star Trek Adventures. Now I have to take it super seriously. Um, <laughs> But for myself, I always kind of have the phone uh, next to me. So let me show you uh, something. Now, I understand some of you are listening to the podcast, so I'll just go ahead and explain to you uh, what we're seeing here. And of course, you could always go back and watch it. Um, So what we're seeing here is if you go to Continuing Missions and type in Pioneer Roster, that's the name of our ship, it's uh, USS Pioneer. It's a Google Doc that you can take a look at. It's open to everybody. You don't, you can't edit it, but you can view it. And you're going to see that I actually keep each one of my data files in one big document. And that way, my players can reference it any time. Or if they need an exobiologist, they can Google. You know, they can uh, search Control F search exobiologist and find all the characters with exobiology. So what I'm showing on screen right now is one of the uh, star characters from Prodigy, Gwen. And it's at the potent, it's at the point in the episodes when she finally has a costume, she a uniform, excuse me. And uh, she's been granted the uniform. She's official cadet. And this is what I have so far from the notes I've taken from the character. I'm going to uh, give a shout out to Memory Alpha, uh, which which gave me the tagline up there. Again, this isn't being sold. This is just the, the my own uh, use here. And so from Memory Alpha, I was able to find a description, description for Gwendella, more commonly called Gwen, a young female. I don't even, how do we pronounce that, Jim? I forgot. Uh, the Vaunacott. Vaunacott, who yeah. lived during the late 24th century. She was the artificially created daughter of the diviner and was sometimes referred to as his progeny or the progeny of Sodom. Okay. So I just grabbed that little descriptor for my players in case no. uh, Gwen walks into here. And so what I'm going to do, and Jim, what we're going to do and kind of talk through, I've left some blanks up here. We're going to mm-hmm. talk about traits, values, attributes, disciplines, focuses, and talents, which are really the basis of a character in Star Trek Adventures, all right? So, so far, um, the first trait I saw is, of course, the alien species, which is common. So, Valnacott. Anything else you would say, Jim, about traits that, from watching the show, you think that Gwyn exhibited? Um, you know, I, I might almost do some sort of trait related to her to her father. Something about being disowned or dis- disconnected, or so, some 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 angle on that, just to just to throw in some character um, growth options. Like like if a if one of my players was going to play Gwen, um, I would want to have a trait that's related to her being a uh, you know that whole that whole relationship with her with her with her father or her creator, whatever whatever that what that relationship is is a little unclear right now, but. Uh, you know, I agree with that. Yeah. I'm going to put estranged from dad just for, for right now. Again, this is showing how we may model during the show because how a trait works, we know during the game is it can be used as a positive or a negative. Right. So maybe estranged from dad. And we saw her struggling with this during the show, her loyalty. She kept vacillating between mm-hmm. her new crew and her father, the diviner. Um, sometimes it worked in her benefit to maybe get information and get into a close relationship with him to get information. Other times she almost betrayed the team. So I think that's actually a really good trait. Good mm-hmm. example. Wasn't she also part 
telepath. I'm feeling like she's telepathic with her dad or empathic or something. I couldn't remember. I, I think it's related to the technology that they have embedded in themselves. Cause like when he wanted to talk to her, they, they both had like veins glowing in their skin. Uh, so I, I think it's, I think it's a species thing. Mm, okay. Maybe so. Maybe maybe in the future we'll see their cybernetic because they only really seem to telepath work telepathy with each other. So yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. All right. Now, tell, talk to me how you collect values for the characters <laughs> as you're watching the show. I put some here, but tell yeah. me how you collect values. Well, yeah. I mean, you you brought it up right before we started on this on on, on Gwen, right? Is uh, literally. I mean, at this point, especially now, the last couple of years, because I'm I'm the project manager. I'm responsible for the line, right? I have to I have to know this stuff. Um, anytime I'm watching an episode, whether I'm watching it or rewatching it or rewatching it for the millionth time, I've got an old um, Alpha Smart Neo. It's an electronic uh, typewriter keyboard. And uh, I've got that next to me um, at the TV. So anytime I'm watching an episode, if I hear a line of dialogue and I think, oh, that's a, that's a, that's that character, that's a, that's a value, right? I'll, I'll tap it down. If I hear, an, uh, you know, it's just something come up in the episode about, uh, uh, you know, just some piece of uh, backstory or some world building or just something interesting that I want to put into a book or a product somewhere, I'll, I'll jot that down. And then later, I'll just dump all that text onto the onto my desktop and massage it. But uh, for values, especially, um, di- I have found that dialogue is the best place to find values because the, char- the characters are always speaking what's important to them, right? They're speaking their truths or their lies or whatever. And, and I, I can see just from this list that you came up with, you, you, you're doing the same thing is yep. you're, you're listening to their dialogue. And, you know, I mean, at this point I, I have subtitles on all the time so I can read the subtitles, but I also listen to the, to the dialogue, of course, because the dialogue and the subtitles don't always match 100%, which I find really interesting. Um, <laughs> I always wonder how, I always wonder how that happens. So, so, so <laughs> yeah. for those of you again, who can't see the values that I extract, and again, this isn't everything she said, or maybe, maybe something grabs you a different way, but I wrote things, the three things she, I caught that she said were every language is a window into a new culture. I always wanted to see the stars. I care for the unwanted. And that's basically from my notes. That's what I got. And then I put last of the vow Nakat, which now I think of as more of a trait than a value. And, uh-huh. and so I might go back, which I will, on a rewatch and maybe try to capture one other provocative thing she says to make a value mm. to start playing. And of mm. course, values change, as we know, in Star Trek Adventures. Sure. Although, you know, honestly, with, with Gwen, like depending on where in the first season's timeline, maybe last of the Valnacot is a good value because that, that could be like, do I want to go with uh, with the, the rest of the people on the ship or do I want to stay true to my to my dad? Right. Well, I am the last of the Valnacot, so maybe that means I betray the new kids and and go, you know, go all in. Like, yeah, I, I can see an argument for that being a trait and a value or a value, but uh, we could quibble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the fun of it is honestly, yeah. one of the things you do during session zero is make these decisions. And, yeah. you know, those conversations take hours to really nail a character. Mm-hmm. OK, so now you notice under attributes and disciplines, I put a bunch of question marks. And the reason why, Jim, and I had to ask you as our resident expert here, is we know the player's guide now has an entire section on how to model children. Mm-hmm. And those attribute and discipline values are different. We know when you're de- usually dealing with um, adults, you know, in, in, in Star Trek, we're assigning 16 points of attributes and 56 points of discipline and kind of spreading those out across the attributes and disciplines. 
but yeah. it works a little different way with children. So that's why I was like, hey, let's build this character out and hear how you decide on those attributes. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you start measuring what they might be in those different roles of control, daring, fitness, insight, presence, and reason? Well, you know, if I'm building, the, I mean, there's two different approaches, right? There's the one approach is like, okay, I'm trying to build this character modeled after what we see on the show versus creating an original character. In this case, we're creating a character based off the show, right? Um, so first of all, I need to pull up my screen and find the rules for uh, generating children because uh, honestly, I haven't read them in a while. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know I, what? While you do that, I can stall because I actually hear, I, now that I'm listening back to myself, I made a mistake. It's uh, normally 56 points of attribute and 16 points of discipline. I said it the, the, the other way around, and I'm sure that people were like already starting to get me on Facebook and Reddit about it. So <laughs> I said, let right. me correct it before they get it. There you go. So let's okay. talk about attributes. Normally it's 56 points. Does it change for children? I'm looking at that right now. Okay. I, just, I just found it. So, um, all right, they're not fully grown. Numerous steps to change. Species, we got the species. That's not changed. All right, environment, uh, choose their environment. Uh, well, I mean, I guess we don't know really, do we? Uh, We'll have to, I think something to look at. So so let's skip that for a second and focus okay. on just how we do our initial spread of points here for um, attributes. What do you do just to start your attributes? So, you know, that's a lot of numbers, 56 points to spread out. So yeah. what's your habit to start it? Um, well, honestly, <laughs> I put, I put, uh, um, it was it 56 right so i put i put uh, 10 and everything and then just okay. lop off four points and uh and and start from there right wow, so you the exact same way i do it yeah <laughs> that's exactly how i do it so, Quick, so math. <laughs> yeah so let's let's fly through here real quick and figure yeah. out which of these she may have been lowest on control daring fitness insight presence and reason um my mentality is because she's a child she's you know just looks like a young teenager fitness would probably be the first one she's not fully developed yet so that's where mm-hmm. on a child i normally lop off points first do you agree mm-hmm. yep i agree okay what do you think take two points off that just to see what happens yeah yeah okay let's put her at fitness eight and then um what would you say where might you lop off another one or control. two points control, one, I, take, I, I take one off of control mm-hmm. and uh I'm, I'm just trying to think through what I remember of, of Gwen. Um, my my brain tells me, you know, she's a little inexperienced and yeah. a little insight. Like maybe she doesn't, she has great mm-hmm. presence, but when it comes to really knowing and certainty of the future and all that, I think insight might take a lop on a child, be sure. lopped off okay on a child, that. right? Yeah. Okay, so this is 56 points real quick, just to let you all know, control nine, daring 10, fitness eight, insight nine, presence and reason, both 10. Okay, great place to start. Again, if you go back to the player's guide, there's some rules about children. They may not make the math all the way up to 56. Makes sense to me. Um, How do you plan, plot out your disciplines? Uh, Disciplines, uh, of course, they all start at one. So that's the starting, that's the easy starting point. And then um, we got 10 points to spend, right? I'm, I'm, I, got, I need to look through the, uh, 
I'd have to look through the the child rules. I don't remember them offhand, but I mean, yeah, we're just yes. making, right now we're making we're making her as a as a fully fully blown adult, right? So um, yeah, so total yeah, sixteen so I, points, right? So I start so I started at one each, and then I just add the ten, and uh, I would me personally, I would give her um, a three command. Okay, sounds good. Because um, I think she was the strongest command type character in the first ten episodes, and not counting the Janeway hologram. <laughs> okay, so uh, I like it. So you're looking at her strongest points and going from there. Yeah, adding from there. Okay, what would you say the next strongest point she exhibited was? Uh, probably security. I agree. She could fight. Yeah. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. I would say for anyone listening to this, I would never put a child above a four. Cause that, you know, if you think about the rule of um, the one talent, which is oh, the one for officers who are new, I can't, I just, it's just Un untapped potential, untapped potential. To me, it seems yeah. like every child would naturally never be over a four, unless there's some superpower reason why, you know, mm -hmm. um, how do you think she stacked up in engineering and science? Um, I probably put at least a point in each of those. See, this is this is tricky. This is where I'd want to look at the rules because I know children shouldn't have ten or should, shouldn't have sixteen in uh, in dis disciplines, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming there's. Uh, I mean, obviously she'd be an adolescent uh, based on the rules here. Yeah, honestly, um, just just again, you're winging it. People at home have flexibility to move the rules as they want. I'd almost stop yeah. here. I'd almost say, you know what? This is actually pretty fair, possibly. Or I don't remember her flying a ship. So <laughs> con one might work, or you could even take one of these attributes down to zero too. We know that that's an option for new characters. And if I remember looking at the player's guide, they suggested, you know, uh, having it be like zero, one, one, two, two, three, I think if I remember zero, one, one, two, two, three, three or something. Uh -huh. uh, so that's, that's a possibility. All right, cool. So that's just a quick example of, of how we're spreading attributes and disciplines. Mm -hmm. Um, Seems like we have a pretty common way of doing that. Now, did you pick up these same focuses? For those of you who can't see, I listed under focuses, acrobats, astrophysics, information technology, linguistics, swords, and starship mechanics. Do you know how I got those, Jim? Um, I mean, other than just watching the show and watching what she does, <laughs> no. Uh, was there another, uh, uh, our, what's, what's the secret of your uh, success there? Um, she said it <laughs> in a couple of these. She actually spoke like information technology. I would never okay. have up with that unless she actually said it when she was getting into the ship systems at some point. And that's also where astrophysics came in, because I at first would not have thought her big on astrophysics until she said it, that she was mm -hmm. trained in it. So that's the easiest way. In fact, I was just thinking the latest episode of discovery, not by the time this comes out, but the latest episode of discovery introduced, um, one of the characters around the table and they named his three focuses. Hmm, and I was okay. like, Oh, that's super easy to model. And, yeah. and so if they say it definitely go with that. Um, uh -huh. the, other, the other ones were just things I watched exhibited by her like swords, mm -hmm. right? Swords and acrobatics, starship. Yeah. Mechanics. Right. Yeah, yeah, and this is where we could quibble, right? I, I don't know if I'd go with swords. I, I would probably make that a little broader and go with bladed weapons. And uh, then uh, starship mechanics, I'm not sure what, what starship mechanics related to. Is that like engineering or is that uh, like... Um, um, it, again, it was one of the things that was said. Okay. So that's where I pulled that up. Is uh, It came up on us, popped up on a screen when she started getting in there. 
That should be bladed weapons, not bladed mechanics. Oh, <laughs> not, not, not to quibble. <laughs> not to quibble. Right. Thank you. All right. Cool. I like Can't that. Yeah. yeah. And, no, that's good. Cool. All right. Let's talk talents. How do you, I mean, talents are such a broad and fun subject in Star Trek Adventures. How do you go about picking out talents for characters you're watching? Um, honestly, it's, it, it's, it's generally, I'm taking notes, right? When I'm watching the character. And I try to get a feel like, I, I mean, obviously I, I want to have a, a broad understanding of what talents are available in the game at all. Um, and then just kind of like jotting down notes. It's like, what is she, what is she doing? What is she really good at? What is, what is the stuff that she's doing on screen that could kind of sort of be translated into a game mechanic of some sort. Right. And I think um, for her, the great examples are whatever that technological telepathy she has with her dad is a, it might be a talent, although it could be a trait. Um, granted, given the, the nature of the Valnicat that we may not entirely know. Um, the, I forgot the name of it. The, 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 that, um, the heirloom. The, the heirloom that changes shape that she could control with her mind, that, that's certainly, um, it, it would be an attack and it would also be, I think, a talent uh, to be able to control that thing, whether it's telekinesis or some other thing, that would probably be a unique, unique talent specifically for her. I wouldn't make it something that, you know, somebody else could, could just you know claim yep. um, yeah 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 to go to well to go to your point i always sit there thinking what's the difference between a focus and a talent and i think of a focus as an area of study a special area of interest that the person has kind of dove into mm-hmm. and refined whereas a talent is a little bit more naturally born and so i'm in agreement with you that she obviously has a penchant for martial arts you know um she moves like like a gazelle. Um, and there obviously was something else in there with some resistance to telepathy. We saw that exhibited in the show. And again, going back, telekinesis. Somehow, I don't know if it's telekinetic weaponry, cybernetics, nanoprobes. I don't know what she's using. But mm-hmm. if I was modeling it, she'd used it so often, you got to give it as a special bonus. She even, I mean, she used it to tie up people and trick out people. You know, it's just it's such an obvious part of her character. It has to be in there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So that's just an example. I mean, this is just a start. This is just a rough from watching the first episodes. Um, anything else you do to tighten up a character after you throw it together like this? Yeah. You know, I, I, I would take a shot at picking four talents that, that seem to fit and then, you know, br- browse through the different books and maybe even look at the character builder just to see, is there a talent? Is there like a cross species talent? that would make sense to fit in here. Cause like, I mean, we, we've got a ton of species now and um, you know, because I'm the GM, I can, I can pick a GM discretion talent if I wanted to, uh, because we haven't done the Valnacot yet. And you know, who knows when we'll get to it, but hopefully we will. Uh, but uh, if, if I find a good talent that makes sense from like, I don't know, the Shackleton book or, uh, or some other book, it's like, okay, you know what that fits. And I may just change the name of the talent and then just drop it right into the character because that's the whole point. Like even the, the core book says if if the terminology of a focus or a talent doesn't fit your character, then change the title. And I know that some people get really antsy about that, especially like the uh, the 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 D and D players. Like I, I remember this from D and D. Like every feat had a specific name, mm-hmm. and if you weren't if you were so that you had a common language at the table, right? And so if you had that feat, everybody knew what that feat did. Um, but in this game, it's like, well, you know, you pick a talent, and like the talent has a specific function. But if that talent doesn't fit your character, at least in terms of the culture or whatever, you can change the name. It's not going to hurt anything. 
Yeah. Um, anyway, I digress. <laughs> no, I, I agree with that. I, I, in fact, think it makes characters richer. We're going to talk about it um, in upcoming weeks when we talk about the Shackleton Expanse book. But mm-hmm. we know, for those of you who have dove into the Shackleton Expanse, there's a culture called the Tilikal. They have some amazing technology. And mm-hmm. one of my players said, you know, what? I don't want to just be great at technology. I want to be a specialist on Tilikal technology. Yeah, and it yeah. changed the whole way the character is written in the game. It's beautiful. And maybe later on we finish the Shackleton Expanse and it'll become a secondary talent or focus of, of the character. They can move on to another one. That's the great thing about Star Trek Adventures is even after you model a character, it's not set in stone. Um, yeah. Every episode it can evolve. Cool. All right. So um, as a reminder to everybody about this, um, right now, uh, Modivius does not have the license for Prodigy yet, right, Jim? Uh, that's right. That's right. Okay. But should it stop people from playing a Prodigy game? No, not at all. I mean, like I said, uh, it, it was just happy coincidence, honestly, that the the player guide came out about the same time as Prodigy did. And that we, I mean, you know, I want to I want to pat myself on the back and say, oh, you know, great for us and Nathan for getting the child rules in here. But we knew we wanted to do that. And uh, it just it just worked out. It was just one of those, uh, you know, happy circumstances that we put child rules in this game, it, it, you know, in the player guide. And then Prodigy came out. It's like, oh, hey, look, you know, we may not have the Prodigy license yet. But if you want to build the Prodigy crew, totally can do it with the with the player guide now and, and the options in here for children. Uh, so, I mean, you could have done it with the core book. It would have been a little bit of a kludge just to make the numbers, you know, massage and stuff. But now you can actually do it. So, you know, if there's a group out there that wants to play kids who stumble upon a Starfleet vessel or a Klingon vessel or a Romulan vessel, I mean, whatever, I don't know, go crazy, have fun. Um, You can do it, right? And we give you you some some advice and some rules around it so that you can confidently uh, go boldly. Yeah, my heart leaps, uh, you know, jumps and leaps and bounds when I hear about these people out there with their families, their kids actually Mm -hmm. playing Star Trek adventures rpg one of my uh players his he plays with his children and they're having so much fun with it and so i love the fact that prodigy the players guide families coming out of the pandemic or got into star trek adventures it's so wide open for everybody right now it's so fun and if anyone has questions about how to make it work they can find us where, where can they find you jim to ask questions about if they uh, anywhere I, I think anywhere star trek adventures is being talked about online it's uh uh, Facebook, the official forums, Reddit, and our new Discord. Right, we have the, we have an, a we have an official Modifius Discord server now. So go talk there. Um, I'm also on a couple of fan run uh, Discords, which are pretty cool. Uh, they really appreciate having you know people to talk to. But uh, yeah, not hard to find. I'm on Twitter too. So uh, uh, anywhere we talk about Star Trek adventures, you know, look for it online, and you'll find me, and you'll probably find Michael too, because you're on most of those uh, um, sites as well. Yeah, yeah, we'll help you model. We'll help. We're we're excited to see it and see all the creation that the fans do. Uh, since the fans produce stuff faster than CBS possibly could, <laughs> the universe is expanding at a much faster rate in fandom. Yeah, you, yeah. The, the fans have a great advantage in that you don't have to go through the approvals process. So you have a you, you can just go straight to market, right? You don't have to wait. <laughs> exactly. Uh, speaking of fans, we're going to keep with tradition here and make sure that we go out of the show with thank yous. And I like always thanking the brick and mortars that are out there supporting Star Trek Adventures and the players. So I am going to take it to Keith Jacobson is is one of the Star Trek fans, Star Trek Adventure fans, and. 
he goes to a store called Around the Table in Linwood, Washington. So everyone get a round of applause for Around the Table, Linwood, Washington. Thank you for supporting RPGs. We love the brick and mortars and can't wait till, till we start flooding back into those. Right, Jim? Anyone you want to thank? Uh, yeah, I mean, just today, given given things that are going on at Modiphius, uh, all the products that were being that are being worked on, not just on Star Trek, but just across the entire company, um, I want to give a shout out to the to the whole graphics team, everybody involved in in, in putting the books together, graphic layout wise, um, especially the graphics team, right? Because they 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 are often the young son heroes of of Modiphius. Because like, if you look at the entire company. And all the products, all the product lines that are being worked on, it's it's the same relatively small cadre of graphic designers, whether they're staff or freelance, that are working on literally everything. And uh, how they manage to keep it together, I, I know that uh, uh, Kieran is the is is uh, in charge of the workflow and everything, and he does an amazing job every day, just like juggling all this stuff. So uh, shout out to the graphics team at Modiphius for doing an amazing job on every product that we're putting out. Yeah, and I'm I'm I'll sit over here. I, I have my over here. I do have my cool tricorder set. <laughs> nice. I've been salivating. Oh, over. Show and tell. Hang on a second. I'm <laughs> really enjoying the tricorder set. Love the coloration. I I'm walking around the house scanning my wife every opportunity <laughs> I get, telling her what she's what what she's all about. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I literally I literally just got these last week. Uh, the player guys. Oh, good. I don't uh, have those yet. You're the, killing. The, I, I had to, I had to, I had to get them shipped in from uh, from the UK because they're not in America yet. But oh, soon, those, soon, they're happening soon. He's um, showing but, off the handy game master's guide and the player's guide for those of you who aren't seeing. And I have to the say, player's guide. Ooh. Oh, this is this the color. one. That's the one that has the kids' rules in it. Oh, and and I have to say, you know, I, I've I had I can't touch them yet. I've only seen them <laughs> in photos, but the etching and the way the light glistens on them yeah, makes the it foil. Feel like a real ship. And those that yeah. what amazing design! Yeah, and Stephanie Stephanie at uh, Modiphius is the one who designed this with the with the with the foil and oh. the embossing and the, or the debossing uh, actually on here. And the the leatherette has a great feel. Like if you bought if you got the um, if you got Klingon the Klingon, and I know you've got the Klingon, the Klingon collector's edition, um, that leatherette feel. Oh, it feels so good. Yeah, it's the same. Uh, it's the same leatherette uh, on the uh, on these two books, and uh, you'll see more. Uh, you know, preview. You'll see more of that in future products. So, uh, well, it um, makes it feel tuned. biblical. I think I told you that <laughs> it feels so biblical. But I have to give yeah. Stephanie a shout out because I remember early on you showed um, a concept piece of it. And I was like, okay, you know, I was thinking to myself, it's kind of a little flat, but where I love graphic artists is that they can sense the finished product. And mm -hmm. those came out so awesome on picture. I can't imagine what they look like in real life. So I can't yeah. wait to get mine up on my shelf. Yeah, I'm excited. And, you know, I have to admit, I'm super jealous of the, um, of the Dune books that are coming out right now. Like the Dune collector's edition stuff that Medivis is putting out are just amazing. And, uh, and, and like, I was talking to the production guy, Pete, and because uh, like he knows all about putting books together and there's so much more we could do with books but like the more cool stuff you do the more expensive it gets and uh it just gets to be cost prohibitive but like you know putting uh putting the the gold the gold uh edging on a on the side of the books or you can even get to the point where you can like make you can do a design yeah. print a design on the on the edgy of the paper and it just gave me all kinds of ideas. It's like, oh, I don't know if we have the money to do all this stuff. So we'll have to you know, see. I, but, uh, and I know you're always telling people yeah. to save their 
platinum for these books. Yep. And I want to remind people because sometimes, you know, uh, you know, I'll I'll hear some people are like, oh, is it worth the investment? And everybody has different economic circumstances. There was yep. definitely a time where I could not buy some of the RBG books that I wanted, but mm-hmm. but eventually they come around. You know, you'll pick them up at shops. I have to say, what's so different about it though, and why it's such a good investment is you buy DVDs maybe to watch a movie, but after two hours, it's over. And that movie's not going to do anything but tell the same story. Right. For me, the money I've always spent on my RPG books unleashed thousands of dollars of imagination that I didn't have to pay for once I got it. And, and yeah. so for those who maybe are getting into RPG for the first time and are looking at the price tag, um, the experience is like no other. And that's where I say, you know, the, the art that's put into the book, the quality of the books is, is worth it, at least for me. And, mm-hmm. and if you are patient, eventually they do come around the book somehow, someone will be you know, on eBay saying they don't have time to play anymore because they got married. <laughs> and you'll get the books that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, seriously, uh, we could, we could spend a whole episode talking about the, the, the value of an RPG, right? Because, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the core books aren't cheap. I'll be, you know, honestly, it's like, what, like 50 bucks for a core book, but like, especially for Star Trek Adventures, you really only, and you know, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to get because you know it just is. But like for your group, let, let's say you have a group of five people, you really only need one core book, right? Sure. Everybody doesn't need because like this is this 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 game can be run so rules light that you don't need five people flipping through the book at the at the table. So like let's say you have five people at the table, you have one core book, maybe you run I don't know twenty adventures, and each adventure is three hour or three hours long. So you've just put uh, you know hundreds of hours of value in that one core book. And that's like, you can't beat that. Well, I'm laughing too, because I think the universe kind of balances out because I literally <laughs> have five core rule books. I have two Klingon and three regular, plus yeah, the well. starter pack. <laughs> it all works out. <laughs> I think the game- Yeah, it, it, it averages out. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in again. Um, we are going to be diving into the Shackleton Expanse book. It's been out for a while. And the only reason we decided to revisit it again is because it's not losing steam. People are playing through the games. We're hearing a lot of excitement about it. I picked the book apart. I'm having fun with it. So we're going to start talking about that in the next episodes of Continuing Conversations. Thank awesome. you, Jim. Great episode. Michael, thank you so much. As always, live long. Oh, where am I? Live long and prosper. I-D-O-A-D. You challenged me last time. I-D-I-C. There you go. Oh, you're doing the double gun. All right. Well yeah, done. double gun. All right. Peace and long life, my friend. Catch you next time. <laughs>